Jessica Cooper. Happy Halloween. Uh, oh, it's did we me. start recording? Yes, oh, hi, it's hi. me, Boris Carlyle. Uh, Karloff. <laughs> Boris Karloff. Dr. Boris Frankenstein. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of Dracula. I'm a monster man. Hi. Oh, oh, oh. Hello. How you doing? Good. Good. I heard it's Halloween, and you're speaking of the spookiest band of them all, DC Talk. It's true. I'm here to, in conjunction with that episode, reveal my latest creation, the Jesus Freak. <laughs> ah, have you heard the good news? <laughs> everyone and welcome to Sadie Hawkins pod. Hello everyone. How's it going? Hi Cooper. He's just staring at me. Jessica's holding him across the table and he's just staring at me. He's like, oh, you were so spooky. You were so spooky, dad. I wasn't expecting that. Baby's first Halloween. It's exciting. Oh, he's scared. He's not scared. Cooper, (laughs) Cooper, do you want to do the mash? Do the monster mash, the monster mash. It's a graveyard <laughs> smash. He usually likes it. He's just kind of looking at Danny right now, though. He's just kind of chilling right now. Yeah. Well, yes. Happy Halloween. We're talking about DC Talk this week. <laughs> this is our first Halloween year. This is our first year during Halloween season where we're not doing, like, any kind of Halloween thing. Because, you know, the first three years of the podcast, we had the Halloween EP. Yeah. That's the Bluetooth getting ready. Um, and then last year, because we had no more... Halloween songs by Reliant K. We talked about the uh, the Jack Chick movie Dark Dungeons. This is I our still fourth think fourth Halloween. This is our fifth Halloween. This is our fifth Wait, Halloween. Oh as my a podcast. gosh, you're right. This is our fifth Halloween as a podcast. That's wow. Which means I guess we've been around for five years. How is that possible? I don't Did know how that's in 2019. Doesn't po- that four? Well, I guess it's our fifth Halloween, but from where it falls in the year, somehow it's our fifth Halloween episode. Right, because we started in 2019, because it's 2023, and 2019 is five, almost... For anyone listening in the future! 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. That's five years. This is our fifth Halloween. So I guess we've been around for five years, and we missed our fifth anniversary. Can you do me a favor and turn up your computer volume? I cannot hear anything through these headphones, and it is very disconcerting. Uh, yeah, that's better. Thanks. Is that better? Yes. Okay. We're recording on Dan's computer, whereas we usually record on mine. So I guess we missed our fifth anniversary. Oh, yeah, I guess so. That was an important anniversary. We missed it. Why didn't you get me any presents for our fifth anniversary <laughs> as a podcast? And now in our fifth year, like we've kind of gotten more attention... Here and there from Reliant K. And more lackadaisical in our recording schedule. And more lackadaisical in our recording schedule. So yeah, this episode, 
I was always, Sorry it's late. But at the same time, like, you know, people will listen to these episodes in the future. This will be a time capsule. This will be a historical database of Reliant K information sure, for generations sure. to come. Are they in the future going to care that we were late with our episodes? No. But you do. You people who rely on us to make your weeks a little brighter, to make every two weeks of your month a little brighter. The last week has just been, the last two, three weeks have been so awful and intense. And it has nothing yeah. to do with this perfect little angel sitting across from me. And it I don't does mean a Jessica. little bit. <laughs> but it's not his fault. <laughs> it's not his fault. It's a uh, pediatricians. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> pediatricians. Who are these people? We've had so much difficulty with finding like a pediatrician that we're comfortable with. The one we're with now, she's okay. She seems fine, but she's got us running through hoops yeah. with so many labs and stuff for him. And he's not even like unhealthy. There's nothing he's wrong. Fine. It's just uh, she just wants to check she wants all these things. Scans and like the scans keep we keep showing up at six in the morning when they schedule us for, and then like it keeps not happening. <laughs> yeah, he. I know you don't want to be up at six a.m. Dad and I don't want to be up at six a.m. But they keep scheduling these things and then being like, "Sorry, we don't actually have a doctor here that can do that." And it's like, "Well, why did?" you know that when you this particular office <laughs> scheduled us for that yeah so we've been running around constantly for cooper and then my job is just become hell on earth <laughs> like and I, I guess i should be careful because sometimes i do take my computer to work right occasionally and there is a sadie hawkins pod sticker on it so i don't think anyone there knows who we are no not no, like no. in my Why last job at the advertising agency where someone definitely discovered our podcast <laughs> Because he went to Reliant K's Twitter account and they had just retweeted something from us. And this is like two Christmases ago. And he's like, I saw a picture of you on Reliant K's Twitter. I'm like, oh, shit. This only goes with. No, as soon as he came up to me at the Christmas party and he was like, so I was thinking about this band Reliant K. And I'm like, oh, man, I know exactly. There's, this, yeah. this cannot be a coincidence yeah. that you're talking. It's like, are you, you guys saying you like in spot? We're like, yes, yes, we are. <laughs> But my job since then, the job that I'm at now has just become awful. It's just become terrible. It's become like an unmanageable workload at this company and like a human cost of the jobs that they're expecting and they don't that they don't like care about the human cost involved in it. And I see it with the whole team and people that I've been working with for the last year and a half have been at this particular place. And uh, yeah, my, I don't know, we're, we're, we'll see how that's going to all go. But basically I'm putting in like nine, 10 hour days and it's not enough. And then I come home so exhausted. I'm like, I can't do anything else. I could just come home and hold Cooper for Jessica while she does some other stuff. So we'll see. We'll see. It's just been tough. It's been tough going. Yeah, it's been really, really difficult. We, we so can't exhausted. promise we'll get into another really good uh, schedule. <laughs> I feel for like for the last which, few have episodes, have we ever had a good schedule? Releasing? We did. We always <laughs> used to. There was a time we had a really long streak of where we didn't. We missed like one episode, and that was when we had our big dust mite infestation, yeah. like a legitimate, like yeah. turned our apartment upside down yeah. situation. And and then we still managed to get the episode out two weeks late. Now we're three weeks late. Whatever. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Between you and me, I don't think that it matters because we're here to have some decent Christian talk. Did you know that, Jessica? Oh, is that what that stands for? That's what for? DC Talk stands for. I had for. no idea. You learn something new every day. Now, I know you love Supergirl, so you're constantly engaged in DC Talk. <laughs> 
It's true. It's true. We're not getting into the song yet because we still have voicemails, but that is what the band stands for. You know who else is, uh, is constantly engaged in DC Talk? John Schneck. That's true. DC Talk. A uh, member of DC Talk by uh, whatever. What? <laughs> I was trying to tag your joke and I totally failed. <laughs> so we do have voicemails. We had voicemails um, from last week or last episode that we didn't get to. And then we have some new ones as well. So let's see what we got here. So James called last week and I saved some of his voicemails because he said they were going to be about previous episodes that he listened oh, to. Oh, yeah, yeah. That he was catching up on. So here's James calling back, uh, picking up from la- from the last episode. Oh, hey, it's James again, calling right back, just like I promised. I'm a guy on my word. Um, just so, side note real quick, I, I listened to uh, the episode uh, about... The one from Forget Not Slow Down, the If You Believe Me, and um, I had some thoughts on this that I feel like are, are completely different from what you guys shared, um, and, and it kind of surprised me, the, especially <laughs> like what Jeff said when um, she said that it was almost like gaslighting, like, if you believe me, then, you know, we could stand the test of time like no one else. And it was almost like he was trying to say, you got to believe me, I didn't do what you think I did and what this he allegedly did. And I don't think it's that at all. I actually, I, I don't think he ever denied doing what he allegedly did. I think, and, and in the song, he never says, I didn't do this. I, I think, and, and this is coming from, I guess, a personal antidote, too, because I have made stupid mistakes in my relationships as well. And um, trying to... Uh, come good from that. Uh, I kind of have the same sentiment telling my, my wife, say, you know, I am going to change. I'm going to become a better person. And you have to believe me in this. And if you believe me that I can, if we can get through this, then we can get through anything. Um, but in order for you to believe me on this, you have to disbelieve yourself. Because it's it's a popular thought that people can't change, that people don't change. And so for somebody that uh, hurts somebody in, in a way, if you believe that people don't change or people can't change, then um, then you have to disbelieve that uh, and you have to kind of change your thought process. And that's kind of what I listen to this song as is, if you believe me, I can change. I'm going to work hard on this and it's, it's not going to be easy, but it's, it's going to be worth it. And you got to believe me. And if we get through this, then we can make it through anything. And I think it's a beautiful song for that. I don't think he's gaslighting her at all. I think it's a, it's a song about that. Anyway, just a thought. And I have one more thought I'll probably call back because I think I'm getting close to a woman. That's a good point. I like that. Yeah, I do too. And I think we, and I, t- I totally agree with that interpretation. When we talked about if well. you believe me, you have to go back and listen. <laughs> I'm t- telling anyone else who's listening right now, you have to go back and listen to the episode to see what we really said because I can't remember everything we said in every previous episode. But I knew that that was like the you'd have to disbelieve yourself was like a line that always seemed difficult for Jessica to swallow. Right? I remember going into that <laughs> having conversations about Relying K in our regular lives. Before getting to that episode, that was always a line that rubbed Jessica the wrong way. Because it's like, it does come off as, whether it's intended that way or not, it can be easily interpreted as mansplaining 
it can be easily interpreted as like, why don't you just, why don't you just forget what you think you know, which isn't always exactly what gaslighting means, but it still sounds like a person saying like, well, what you think you know, you don't know. Right. So it's always, it's, it's like a sore nerve depending on how you approach that lyric. But I really do like what James is saying here. Whoops. Yeah. That's saying that the laundry is ready. I'll go get it in a minute. <laughs> I do agree with what James is saying. I think that there's ways to look at that line and I think that they're all valid. And I like James's point of view there. I also think at some point I did get close to what James was saying there. Yeah. I did at some point. I remember at some point going over. Yeah. I pivoted. skirting. That. I, I yeah. kind of pivoted it. It was like, it wasn't him saying, if you believe me, I didn't do what you think I did. I did at some point in that episode say, it's more like, if you believe me, I love you and I want to get past this. Right. I do think I alternated to that interpretation. Then James took it a little even further with, uh, <laughs> these are all such like difficult things to really wrap your head around. I can't remember exactly what he just said, even though I just listened to his voicemail. But yeah, this idea that's like, it's more like, if you believe in me that I can learn from this, that's sort of where James Mm -hmm. took it. And I think that that is totally valid and a very likely interpretation of that song, of that particular line. Yeah. More like if you, what you're disbelieving in yourself is that I don't love you or I'm not capable of learning and changing from this situation. And if we'll stand the test of time because we made it through something really bad. Yeah, and everyone can grow and change. Everyone has that capability. Right. So, uh, James calls back. James, I just had a random thought. I was still looking to the look on the top episode. And it's a very when you were um, playing some of the covers. One of the covers that you played for it was Jason Call Music. Um, That did LaDonna, Jason Call Music. Interestingly, if you guys are familiar with the band Daffy Loves Derby um, from the old Pure Volume days, they were the first band to reach a million listens uh, on that. They had kind of an awesome career, and um, then he, when the band fizzled and left, he kind of does a little bit of his own music now, but. Uh, anyway, I thought that might be interesting for you to know. You don't have to play this part if you don't want to, but I thought you'd be, you'd be cool to know. Thanks. Thanks for you do. Bye. Well, too late. <laughs> I already played it. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I'm guessing he's saying that that cover person was from a, one of the biggest pure volume bands of all time. That's interesting. <laughs> That's cool. I did not realize that. I did find out, however, and I don't know if I... Did I mention this in the previous episode? I don't think I did. What was her name? You said that like, is it raining? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Siri, is it raining? Let's get tomato soup. We played that on one of our live-to-tape live streams once over on patreon.com slash Sadie Hawkins pod. We talked about the uh, Zoe Deschanel... Siri commercial from like 2008. Yeah. And, like, and now we've, uh, we started, started watching, watching new girl. girl. And so that definitely comes up a lot where we'll just be like, is it raining? 
And it's so funny that New Girl started in 2011 because I'm like, this show feels so 2006. Yeah, it's weirdly racist. <laughs> There's a lot of There's race. There's a lot of problematic stuff in that show for because we've heard from like numerous friends like, oh, this show's so great. You guys have to check this out. I love this show so much. And now we're watching it and we're like, it's not hateful. Mm, it's just it's odd so like race weird. based jokes, like little one off, unfortunate things. tossed mm-hmm. off like. You're more, this is crazier than a something Chinese something restaurant. And like, we're like, why did they have to throw in the Chinese reference? But then it's, it's like every race, like they're constantly using races as just like, well, they're, well, they're equal opportunity (laughs) races. Yeah. I don't know if it's really like (laughs) racist. I think it's just like uncomfortable how much they use race references as a guide for jokes on the show. But uh, what was that? What was her name? Zoe Deschanel? No, Ethel Kane. <laughs> Ethel Kane, who's a very popular, very popular artist now. Uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We came across that cover. Yeah, we talked about Give Until There's Nothing Left. And I was, like, dubious if it was really Ethel Kane. Because she was, like... And I, I kind of had heard of her, but I hadn't really heard of her. Um, no, I... That album cover was just so odd. It, the album cover was really odd. It turns out it really is her. She had demos on a SoundCloud account before she was like super popular and had gotcha, a million gotcha. monthly listeners. And she really did do this Relying, Relying K cover. And then we have another voicemail from Casey. Someone, Casey? Wait. <laughs> or is it? Yeah. Oh, no. Sorry. It says Casey Hawkins Pot. My name is Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> so here i think this is the first time google voicemail. translate hi faye hawkins pod um my name is maggie i'm calling from pennsylvania i've never called before mostly because i'm still catching up on your podcast um but i just wanted to call and say i really appreciate what you guys are doing um you have really insightful um commentary i think about a lot of reliant k songs and kind of have helped me think about their music in a way that i haven't before um, the reason I'm actually calling, though, is I just listened to your episode on Gloria from 2021, which was basically a thousand years ago. Um, and at the beginning, you went on a little tangent about Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which is one of my favorite movies. And I'm just desperate to know what y'all think of the new um, animated series that's coming out soon. Um, so hope you guys are doing well and take care. Well, thank you for calling. What do you think, Jess? What do you think of Scott, the new Scott Pilgrim anime that's coming out? I've made you, I've had made you, I've happened to have played <laughs> some of the trailer clips. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to check it out. I'm very interested. I actually wondered why they didn't do something like this a long Sooner? time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Because the books deviate pretty wildly from the movie. Right. Right. And even though the movie is accurate to the books it still like does a completely different kind of thing overall kind of like the song we're talking about this week actually you're right so when and then the last book wasn't even that was out. smooth danny real yeah smooth. <laughs> well the last book wasn't even out when they made the movie so i think the last one or two, maybe the last one or two the last two volumes maybe weren't out and they influenced the end of the comics Sort of like 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 a successful version of Game of Thrones, where the author <laughs> actually put on hold the last books to help with the production of the filmed version, but then did finish the books at the end. 
Right. So when I read the books, I was like, oh, this would be great as an anime. And they kind of did that, like, Scott Pilgrim versus the animation prequel for the movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, why don't they just do more of these and maybe follow the books more closely? So I'm interested. Although they are not, they don't seem like they're going to follow the books totally closely, right? There's already some changes. Like, Mar- Ramona is a delivery person for Netflix now. Right. Which is just an in-joke that this is on Netflix. Yeah. But I'm wondering if there's going to be other types of, like, changes and in-jokes and maybe there's going to be some meta commentary about how the animation. I can imagine there'd be some changes that'll be a meta commentary on the end of both the books and the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if we talked about it uh, on the show before, but also the game is amazing. Right. It's so much fun that came out for like 360 so many years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been re-released. Yeah. And we have a physical copy from Limited Run Games for Switch, I think, and we've never played it. <laughs> I know. We need to. We need to get on that. Well, it was because our first our first copy came and there, oh, right. there was a problem with the disc. There was a printing error. Yeah. Or not disc, whatever the cartridges are on a Switch. And then we had to wait for the next one to come in. And it took so long for the next one to come in, the replacement, yeah. that we just ended up getting busy and we haven't played it yet. But right. I think about that game pr- pretty often. <laughs> and then we saw Anamanaguchi for free around yeah. the time that game was new. Yeah. They played a free show. We were in. We were in Austin. In at the Austin, time. Yeah. we were kind of living in escrow between getting to California, and uh, Anna Monaguchi just happened to play a free show at South by Southwest before the music part. We didn't bother it, it going downtown. The, yeah, yeah, it was for the gaming convention because that was which like was the first new, year that they were doing. Which it, I don't know if they've done something. it at all yeah. since then. <laughs> yeah, so tickets were free, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So anyway. Yes, we're very excited. I'm excited to see what the animation, the new show is going to be like. One thing I'm kind of hoping for that they never really did. I don't remember the comic super, the last volume of the comic super well. But I was surprised that there was never a motif of a boss rush. I think they did that in the video game. Did they do it in the video game? Did they do it in the comic? I don't feel like they did it to a satisfactory level. Like, I always wondered why they didn't have, like, one big thing at the end where right before the final, final battle, Scott has to refight all of the exes in a big boss rush. Like, that would have been cool. You know what Does I mean? Does that not happen at some point? No. Oh. I don't think so. Maybe it happens in the comic. I'd have to reread. It doesn't happen in the it movie. Like, when everyone movie. dies. And they don't even have to be the same characters, like, coming back from, quote unquote, being dead. But, like, projections, robots, clones, whatever. It doesn't even matter. So I'll be interested to see if they're going to do... Like, what does death mean in the Scott Pilgrim universe? When you explode into coins, you're dead. You don't come back. Right. But nobody's sad about it. Like, right. what does it really mean? And I think Scott does die. He dies in the movie for sure, but his, his death is... I can't remember. I have to reread. I mean, I should reread the comics before the cartoon comes out. Before the anime comes out. Yeah, we have those special edition uh, hardback books. Right, the colorized ones. Mm-hmm. So let's see. And then Daniel called with voicemails that he sent by WAV file to the email. So here they are. So here's the first one. And these are about ammunition from last week. And this will set us up nicely. Because I figured the last episode we did Relying K's brand new cover of Switchfoot, the song Ammunition, for a Switch that they did for a Switchfoot tribute project. Where the entirety of a 
major CCM artists had their entire album re-recorded by different artists. Well, that was the second time Reliant K was involved in that. Because on this list, since the inception of the podcast, has been Reliant K's cover of Between You and Me by DC Talk, which is part of a Jesus Freak entire album tribute compilation. So I was like, let's just finish the suite of of uh, Reliant K doing major CCM artist cover albums. So here are Daniel's thoughts on ammunition from three weeks ago. Hey guys, it's Daniel. Uh, just calling in with some uh, thoughts about uh, the ammunition episode. I'm actually only like halfway through it right now, so I'm sure I'll have more thoughts uh, later. But um, just wanted to point one thing out off the bat, uh, which I'm sure somebody else will point this out as well, but, um, Dare You To Move was actually on the album before The Beautiful Letdown. Um, I believe it's Learning To Breathe. Um, and then, so the, the version on, um, The Beautiful Letdown that we all know from like the radio and stuff, that is like technically a re-recorded version already of, of that song. I did remember this only when he said it. Like, he reminded me. Gotcha. Because, like I talked about in that last episode, my feelings on Switchfoot are tied to my friend Johnny, who had those first three or four albums. And when he'd pick the CD wallet, that's and he'd pick something, he, that's where I heard most of Switchfoot in my life. So I did know that Dare You To Move was re-recorded on... Uh, beautiful letdown that it's like they're welcome to paradise for green day so they've already done their version now they've done a second their yeah version? they did our they did the their version then they did our next version then they did <laughs> our version and then relying k did their version um there was something else i was gonna say about that and i don't remember what it was because i remember we quit oh and no one else called daniel's the only one who called to remind us of that um when i realized that and I definitely knew this more recently because, you know, I have dipped into Switchfoot's Spotify here and there over the years. I just don't spend a lot of time listening to them. I've spent more time listening to them in the last month than maybe the last several years total. Um, just off of the momentum of having talked about ammunition. But over on Switchfoot's Spotify, the learning to breathe version of Dare You to Move is the one in their top five. Not the one from Beautiful Letdown, which mm. I, is the one that plays on the radio. Oh, interesting. So it is really interesting that, the you know, I made the Green Day comparison, but if Welcome to Paradise was a big single and the Dookie version got played on the radio all the time, but the Kerplunk version was in their top five with millions of listens on uh, Spotify, that would be very strange and unusual. Only other, I think a lot of bands have done that thing, and we didn't talk about it with re-records, but like where a band has a song that kind of feels like it could be, should be a hit, and they do it on an album that's kind of like right before their breakout, and then they redo that song on the next album, and then you have two albums back. I mean, Reliant K did it with the uh, demo. Yeah, that's slightly different because that's like a demo demo. That's like not an album you can get in. That sure. was never an album you can get in stores. But like I said, Green Day, Welcome to Paradise. There's a Less Than Jake song that I can't remember the name of the song right now, but they did it on Borders and Boundaries, and then they redid it on Anthem. And I think, 
yeah, there's got to be other bands that have done that. Like, even Real Big Fish, like, their first big album, and we've got to just do this with all the ska bands, but Turn Off the Radio <laughs> was made of a lot of songs know. out of their self-released album, which was released commercially. It wasn't really a demo the way All Work and No Play was a demo. But anyway, there should be a Spotify list out there of just, like, bands that re-recorded their songs between albums not like we're re-recording this to reclaim some sort of copyright but just we re-recorded this because we don't think we got it right on the last album because mm-hmm. um, i guess the first time around they thought they didn't get it quite right and i sort of agree if you listen to both those versions i do like the beautiful letdown version better um you know i don't know whether it's like i would feel that way if i was more familiar with the original version um, and it hurt at first, you know, you never know, but that is what happened with that. And that's why that paragraph in, uh, the Wikipedia article or whatever, uh, probably was a little confusing if you didn't know that. So, um, that's what happened there. Um, and then, uh, you know, as a chiefs fan, I gotta say, uh, the Taylor Swift thing is actually great. Um, my wife and I were actually talking about this. I, I mean, in one sense, yes, it is a PR move because it's not really possible for anything Taylor does, even in her personal life, to not be a PR move. Like, I guess your question, and so much more has developed in the Taylor Swift football world since we originally commented about it three weeks ago and since Daniel called about two weeks ago with this voicemail. But I guess what you're saying is, yes, it's a PR move, but it's not spontaneous. Correct. It's not built out of genuine, like, human connection the way that it's, it was, pre- it was pre-planned. For sure. It was 100%. discussed ahead of time. Yes. and like, I don't mean to go bursting bubbles out here, but, like, straight up. It's, that's what it's Jessica's ridiculous. really saying. Because, yes, everything Taylor Swift is a PR move. Like, if Taylor Swift goes to... If Taylor Swift is like, I just, I'm trying to think of any weird thing. If Taylor Swift is seen eating a Reese's peanut butter cup and she really just like was at a snack table. There was a window there where some paparazzi could film her. She looks at the Reese's cup and she's like, I want the Reese's cup. She picks it up. Suddenly Reese's stock is going to go through the roof. And in that moment, it's probably, it might not be planned. But <laughs> And also- then you can debate if something like that is planned or not. But you, you, you believe... Do you believe that mm. the Taylor Swift football thing was completely preconceived Absolutely. to happen? Also, the fact that not at that first game, but at the second game that that she was that she was going to just randomly show up to, they did a friendship bracelet thing as the stadium giveaway. They planned those giveaways months, months, months in advance. Years, they planned yeah, those not, not years, years in advance, but they plan those in the time before the season actually begins. All of that stuff is in the works. Like, I can tell you that as a hockey fan, that when I go to look, even before the preseason begins at what the giveaways are going to be for that year, I already know because they've already planned them. So that production would have had to happen. But the production has to happen earlier. And they just left it off the schedule. Yeah, they were not like, oh, let's randomly just create, I don't know, 25,000. And how convenient that she happened to her second game where they had this ready happened to be a game that didn't have a giveaway night planned on right. the schedule. Right, and, and was in <laughs> New York so that 
her first, uh, they could play Welcome to New York, which is the only song she's like allowed the NFL to use or whatever, was in New York. Come on, come on. With 1989 Taylor's version coming out, it's all, it's gross. It's all gross. <laughs> yes, football's gross. Enjoy big, that big she picked a man. guy on your team, okay? <laughs> I do think it is genuinely that she wants to date Travis Kelsey. Otherwise, she wouldn't do it. Like, she, I do not believe that she would date someone that she didn't want to date simply because it would make her look good. Um, you know, will she stay in a relationship longer than she should because it looks good to do that. I mean, we all do that. Um, we all, almost all of us have done that, uh, at some point. Um, that's a very human thing to do, but it's simultaneously possible for her to like genuinely enjoy Travis Kelsey and dating him and stuff. And also just by nature of who she is and her job, like has to, uh, you know, consider how it's going to look to the outside world and and what it's going to do for her career. I don't, it's simply not possible to separate those things at that level of fame, um, which she is like probably the most famous woman in the world at the moment. So um, that's just kind of how it is. But I don't, I don't think it's some completely cynical thing where you know, their agents called each other up and was like, hey, we should do this just as a PR stunt. Um, I do think it's somewhere in the middle. And I think when you get to, I think what Daniel's saying is valid and sound. And I think what you believe is valid and sound. I've just gone down too is, many TikTok rabbit holes. And the thing is, and I too don't, many random people have accidentally said too many things for me to completely buy this. And, and, but I think that when you get to a level of planning and, and, and human existence involved with being a Taylor Swift, like you can't just say as simply as this was planned ahead of time and therefore it is cynical and meaningless. Like what Daniel's saying and what you're saying can literally both be true because when you're that famous, like the planning, like, yeah, she could genuinely consider him a friend or someone she wants to date, hang out with romantically or not romantically, just be friends and like call it dating for the, whatever like you could do that but then they could also say like oh and also we might as well do this would it be fun to work together in this way where it's planned and we act like all of these plans with the game and the giveaways all of that like happens spontaneously but we know it's not because we're friends and we're dating and the other thing is like one thing I don't agree with Daniel there though about is that it a hundred percent Hollywood people now when you get to Taylor Swift's height it might play out a little differently, but 100% every red carpet premiere, people are saying, do you want to go out on a date with me so we can be seen? And it's not, I'm not guessing that that's like discussed in books and openly discussed by celebrities. Like agents do call up. Yeah. Natalie Portman's agent calls. I just picked a random female actor and I'm like, now actress. And now I'm like, <laughs> I gotta be really careful what male star. Uh, uh, James Frank. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, uh, Casey Affle. No, no. Um, but they, they, it's like they talk, celebrities have talked about it. their agents call each other up and be like, this actor's interested in hanging out with you, talking, 
having a conversation, seeing what's there. It's a weird level of human existence that they're open about. They talk about it. But I think if you don't live it, you can't experience it. But then when you get to the level of a Taylor Swift, you're never going to know what's true and what's not because there is a lot of paperwork involved in these things. You're just not going to know. You're not going to know what's real and what's completely contrived. The other thing is like, I think when you get that famous, knowing already that like you become an A-list actor and yes, your agents are, are setting you up on dates you're going out on the date and you're saying, oh, it's nice to talk to you and meet with you. And, oh, I actually can see something there. Or, oh, we're just friends. Or, oh, we could do work together. Or, you're going to have a different connection in different ways. But when you get to the level of a Taylor Swift, I can see that, like, you know, some people don't deal with fame. It seems like this is what she always wanted. This is like, so, like, if she's on a level of having human interaction where it is planned as a business model... She's not, that that might seem cynical, but it's like she she can only function on the level of superstardom, uber famousness that she's prepared and she wanted, and that's what it is, and she has no shame about that. Whereas I think like you know it has to have this level of uh, whatever. <laughs> it from both sides, it it does seem to seem like they both actually like each other, and all you know as a as a Chiefs fan, it's been a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> like, I've loved all the puns, and, like, I would much rather, uh, you know, after a touchdown, get a cutaway to Taylor Swift jumping up and down in the box than, like, you know, whoever the owners are and stuff like that. You know, people I don't care about as much. <laughs> so that's my two cents on that issue. Um, this is getting kind of long, so I'll try and, uh, oh yeah. The other thing I was going to say, um, about the punk drums, um, I do think it is a punk sound. I mean, yes, it's just technically double time and it's like, that's not exclusive to punk music, but like, I mean, given who they are and what their background is, uh, I think it's pretty clear that that's why they like that's where that influence to do something like that put you know double time time drums in there is coming from it's not coming from polka or uh, jazz or something like that like it's they're doing it because they in the past at least and maybe continually are some form of a punk band um, it may not be the exact beat that is considered the punk beat. I don't really know enough about drums to know what that would be. Uh, that's not something I've ever really heard before, except for like the guy who invented the D beat explaining exactly what the D beat is. Um, but I don't think this is that either way. So um, I don't know. To me, it's a punk move to do that um, in some form, even if it's extremely pop punk, it's still, is coming from that influence. So that's my take on that. And I get that. Like, uh, you know, it, it, I felt the same way about the double time in local construction as I feel about the double time in their cover of ammunition. That it's not really, I just felt like it's not actually a punk feel. It's just a double time thing. But yes, you, you're right. Like, they are, they have their basis in being a punk band like 
even if what they do, even if what Reliant K did throughout most of their career would be kind of categorized as fast pop rock, they have their basis in, you know, all work and no play has a fat wreck sound. Like it has an actual crunchy skate sound. Like that's what they're, that's what they come up from. You, you know, clearly their influences are pop punk. And I remember early in their career, like I'm talking, we're talking first three years era, you know, Tyson was cautious about saying we're a punk band because he didn't, because back then the bona fides of being a punk band were still, those lines in the sand still existed. Those lines were starting to disappear during that time. But Tyson came up in a time interested in punk music where you couldn't wear Macy's clothes and call yourself a punk band. You couldn't just write fast pop rock and call that pop punk. He was respectful to that idea at the time. Then those lines in the sand totally washed away by 2004, 2005, and, you know, Warped Tour culture in the mid-2000s. So then more openly pop punk. And I personally also come from that. I, even though I don't... I accept everything that gets called pop punk... It ultimately, like, I didn't pay attention to Paramore forever, but when I got into making pop-punk memes and I was looking at other pop-punk memes and there were tons of Paramore ones, I'm like, Paramore is a pop-punk band? And I'm like, <laughs> now my my brain, that part of my brain is rewired and I have kind of caught up and resynced to the popular vernacular of what pop-punk means. So I do get how they double-timed the beat because they have a pop-punk influence. I don't think the actual beat is a pop-punk beat, but they did it because they love pop punk. I totally get it. It's one or the other. It's a matter of like, it's not a chicken or the egg thing, but it's like, you know, they might, you might, a band might add horns to a song because they love, oh, here you go. Audio Adrenaline. What's that? Uh, not some kind of monster because that, uh, the monster, Audio Adrenaline. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. I can't help you, Audio Dan. I you <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I don't know. But they have a song about monsters. Awesome. I'm in. Yeah, that's what we should have done. <laughs> that's what we should have done for, uh, <laughs> for, for, Halloween. for Halloween. Absolutely. Zombie. Some kind of zombie. That's why I always get it confused with the some kind of monster uh, Metallica. Nice. Some kind of zombie features audio adrenaline with members of Supertones. And Sounds spooky. they have horns in the song. I can play it. I just pulled it up so... Oh, wait. No, it's Blitz. <laughs> the album is called Some Kind of Zombie. The song is called Blitz, right? Okay. This uh, this is taking way too much time for me to describe. So here's an audio adrenaline song that has horns, and it has Mojo doing from Supertones doing extra vocals, right? I'm just bummed that there's this no is, actual zombies. Right. Well, this is not a ska song. It's not a ska song. It features members of a ska band... And it features the horns from a ska band, but it's not a ska song. Now, they did it because they were really interested in ska. And I never saw Audio Adrenaline play this live, but one of my favorite, one of my uh, best Christian ska friends back in Massachusetts, he's like, yeah, one time uh, he saw Audio Adrenaline perform this song. He's like, here's our ska song. And my friend was like, it's not a ska song. <laughs> so anyway, my point is like, they did that because they love ska. This took way too much time to explain. <laughs> Uh, and uh, like I'm really fighting against Daniel's very sound point of view that the double time beat that Reliant K has done in a couple recent songs is punk based. 
I just got excited because I thought about Blitz, but <laughs> it's the only audio adrenaline <laughs> song I know, and I couldn't remember the name of it. Well, Daniel called one more time, and then, you know, we got lots of voicemails to catch up to. It's been a couple of weeks now. So Daniel's got one more voicemail. Hey, Danny and Justice. Daniel again, uh, just with some more thoughts on Reliant K's ammunition cover. Um, hopefully you didn't already record, but uh, given this shot anyway. I had water in my mouth. Nope. Um, so a couple of quick things on those effects. Uh, actually, not even on the effects. When, uh, when Hoop said in that Instagram that he thinks... Uh, uh, Tyson's thumb sounds like an envelope filter. I mean, far be it from me to say that he's wrong about that. Uh, he definitely knows more about tone than I do. Um, I don't particularly hear that in there. Envelope filter is kind of almost like a wah-wah sound, but like more automatic. It's hard to explain, but to me, that clip of Tyson playing just sounded like a normal clean guitar. <laughs> I mean, it does kind of sound like he's using a pick. I wouldn't that's the thing about him is like you can't really it doesn't sound like he's playing with his thumb um which is interesting but anyway we've covered all that before um as far as the song their cover itself um one thing i thought was really interesting is that when i listen to like the original <clears throat> to me as a guitar player the most exciting part of that song is when it gets to the chorus the we've been blowing up we're the issue um like the guitar part under that in the switchfoot ver version they changed like a completely different distortion sound and it's like really high gain and mid-rangey and like just sounds super cool and like um to me as a guitar player that's like the most exciting part of the song at least in the switchfoot version like that would be the part that i would look forward to playing the most and so i think it's really interesting that they in their version don't ever do that in the song um i believe the first time they get to that they do like a chunky palm mute thing like and so like to me that shows a lot of restraint especially i think the second time they get to it they don't even play that part like they kind of let the last note hang out from the previous part and then Tyson sings the part and then they kind of all come in at the next bar um so to me that's just an interesting approach it's like when you have a song that um you know you're covering and you want to make it your own version you know it's really easy to just want to do the cool part in the song that you already love but like it's kind of a cooler way of thinking about it to be like uh you know like maybe we'll not lean on that as like a, the strength to 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 kind of make us our own if that makes any sense um just kind of thinking about it in terms of like what can we add and what can we subtract like if we're going to add something here um you know like how the verses are like much more high intensity then maybe we need to bring back some uh, you know dial down the intensity when it gets to the chorus in some way um and just kind of differentiate it that way um so just just some things i observed that i think are really cool about it um i think that's everything so anyway have a good one well, that's very fitting as we get into the song we're discussing this week because Relying K definitely did something similar with this cover. Not all the technical specific things that, he's talk that Daniel's talking about with the ammunition cover, but the idea that they're taking the song and making it their own and then like kind of in some ways 
really changing things from what you'd expect of the original. Some people at this table might think that's more successful than others. <laughs> Am I spoiling your point of view on the Reliant K song? Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you, Daniel, for sending us those voicemails. And I think that launches us into talking about the song this week. So with all covers, we start talking about the original artist and the original song. And we'll dip into the Reliant K version as we see fit. And then hopefully just do a second part where we talk about, not a second episode, but another ch- chunk of this episode we'll be talking about the Reliant K cover. So Jessica, DC Talk. Are you down with the DC Talk? I know Jesus Freak. <laughs> Everybody knows Jesus Freak. And there was another one. Is is this the I Hope They Serve Eggs in Hell band? No, no but, but. I'm, oh, no, Jessica. Like, I'm the biggest. I'm not. I don't even care about CCM music. But no, that's Newsboys. Okay, okay, okay. But, in, but coincidentally, one of the members of DC Talk went on to be in the Newsboys. Oh, well, there you go. So that's why you're mixing them up. Clearly. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I totally remember. Like, and, and then you played another. You you played some of their top songs for me. And I was like, oh, yeah, this song sounds familiar. I couldn't that have told was, you was funny that they were I played DC their talk. top five yeah. on Spotify and you recognized all of the melodies. Yeah. So it just kind of shows you like this was a very ubiquitous band just in churches in the 90s. Like just constantly being played. Um, yeah, and when I was in middle school, my mom listened to uh, ZD 8.3 in Orlando, was the popular Christian music station. Right. And so, yeah, when we were in the car, I would just hear those songs and I wouldn't, you know, pay super close attention to them or anything. I was probably just biding my time until I asked her to put on one of my CDs. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I was like, yeah, I definitely recognize these songs. I couldn't have told you they were DC Talk, though. So... I'll talk about my familiarity with DC Talk, but I do think that they are like probably one of the biggest Christian bands of all time. Um, and they really tread that line. And what's funny is like, as I rail on on this podcast, all about like the, the, uh, da- the, the damage and the actual hypocrisy of needing a Christian music industry like that shouldn't exist like God did not call us Christ did not call us to create an industry in his name as much as I rail on about that DC Talk somehow feels like the band that the group that at least to me and my dabblings in the existence of Christian music they feel like the band that have circumvented that or or uh navigated that field so perfectly because i do think they have a lot of mainstream exposure and a lot of people are aware of them outside of the christian uh bubble but they are still unapologetically christian and but they are still unapologetically musicians because it always feels like that dichotomy in when 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 Christian music gets discussed by any side, from inside the Christian camp, from outside the Christian camp, it's like, are you doing this because you're trying to evangelize, or are you doing this just because you want to be a musician? It's like those two things acting as if those two things at all times are diametrically opposed, which they're not. And sometimes the way I talk, it might feel like it might seem like I also feel that way, but it's a tug and it's a pull. It's like, it's like 
you seem to only be able to be one of those two things. Are you doing this just for Christ? Are you doing this because you just want to be a musician? I mean, why can't it be both? It should be both. And it can be both. And I feel like DC Talk is a band that very much were able to tread that line of we do this because we love music, but we also do this because we love Christ. Um, the, the, at least that's how it felt to me. So my personal history with DC Talk or my awareness of them was it tied pretty heavily to my even learning that Christian contemporary music or that Christian punk and all these things existed. It was when my mom was tired of me listening to Nirvana. She wasn't tired. She she wasn't taking those things away from me, but she didn't like me listening to all this grunge rock and stuff. So she took me to the record store, right. the Christian bookstore, and said, "You, you can buy anything you want." Time, I do yeah. tell you this all the time. I did not buy a DC Talk record there that day, but I probably at some point after learning about the existence of like this Christian music industry heard the song Jesus Freak and saw the album cover and saw it was so close to the grunge music I was listening to, right? Because when my mom took me to the Christian bookstore, I gravitated to MXPX. Because in my whole life, I did not know that skate punk was something that was still happening in the world. I did not know that punk rock shows were something that were happening in the world. I thought there was just grunge and radio rock and if you wanted to be one of those types of bands you could inject your music with some level of punk music but i didn't think that punk bands like fat records and epitaph were still out there i thought they were just a handful of novelty acts like you know bad religion had still been around and rancid and some punk influences in weezer and then green day and some punk influences in grunge bands like silverchair and bush had like one or two punk songs on their albums so i wanted the christian punk but then there was all this Christian grunge and post-grunge at the time as well. And DC Talk was like the biggest one. So I heard the song Jesus Freak and I'm like, this song rocks. This song rocks. Yeah, and, you know, it, it the does. lyrics are interesting. And it's like, it's actually not Jesus. The song Jesus Freak, to me, it's not as in your face of like, hey, you jerk become a christian it's a fun song it's just kind of it's a the, the lyrics the lyrics of jesus freak are just like a motif of here's the way christians sometimes exist in and are seen in the world and it's not really i don't think that the poetry of the lyrics of jesus freak are saying like this is wrong or this is right or how people are seen as jesus freaks is wrong or right it's just like here is a viewpoint about christians and and you can take whatever you want from these lyrics. Are you ashamed to be seen as a Jesus freak? Are you excited to be seen as a Jesus freak? Do you want to act like a Jesus freak? Are you being like a crazy preacher on the side of the road with a tattoo on your belly, wiggling around like marmalade <laughs> jelly? Or are you just being a regular person who believes in Christ and wants to evangelize and you're being seen as a Jesus freak? Are those both Jesus freaks? It's just asking the question, which is something that good art does, right? And I'm fine, and I find that the song Jesus Freak does that. It doesn't actually supply answers, which is not common for a lot of Christian music. Christian music usually exists just to give you answers and sometimes to shove them down your throat. But somehow I found as I was listening to some DC talk, it's like I didn't listen to their earlier rap albums, which we could talk about, but like when I was listening to Jesus Freak and I was listening to a little bit of Supernatural, the album that came after this, I was like, 
DC Talk as a band is doing that thing that actually good artists are supposed to do. And they're asking questions, but not giving you the answers, asking you to find the answer. And sometimes it's like, sometimes finding the answer, you can get lost in like, what is this artist saying? No, no, you're not supposed to worry. What is this artist saying? This artist is asking you a question and you answer the question. You find your answer. That's what Reliant K does all the time. And somehow I find that a lot of DC talk music is actually doing that. Whereas so much other Christian music, they can't open their mouths without saying, here's the question. Oh, and here's the answer. There's no other answer. This is the answer. So I found that Jesus Freak, the song, is that way. And anyway, I probably didn't think about it. In the, I did not think about it in these terms when I was a kid. But I did like that song. And like you were saying, it's a bop. It's good. And it's, it's it's a great song. So I got the CD, right? I asked someone to get me the CD. I don't remember who got me the CD. I don't think I spent my own money on it. And I'm like, oh, oh, just this one song kind of sounds like uh, a mainstream Nirvana. Most of the rest of it is like soft rock. Most <laughs> right. of the rest of it is like adult contemporary, yeah. like funk soul jazz. <laughs> Okay. And I had been used to this because I grew up in the time of like, you see a CD, you're interested in it. Maybe there's one or two singles and you don't know what the rest of the album is going to be like. Yeah. I was you very... Know, an easy way to check that out. Yeah. And like sometimes there's a listening station. Sometimes there's not. Some stores might supply you that thing where like you can listen to any CD. You just bring it up to the counter. And the way they did that was they would open up the, uh, the, 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 the shrink wrap. Hmm. But they, oop, laundry's ready again. But then instead of like, because the CDs had those stickers on the top, you know, those those categorizing yeah. stickers, they wouldn't want to break those. So they would actually open the hinge from the bottom. That to, is how you remove your labels. Yeah, that's to how this I, that, to this day, that's how I do it. Because I used to watch people at the records, uh, some record stores would have an NECD listen to any CD policy, including new CDs. I would think they would just have a copy of most of the CDs. That but you couldn't really to. because those yeah. CD stores in the 90s and 2000s were huge. Yeah. Like even, you know, not forget Virgin Megastore and Tower Records. Even a standard mall record store had, ten, had thousands and thousands of CDs, sometimes tens of thousands of CDs. So you could like the one where in the, the one in my hometown, Burlington, where you could do this was a store called The Wall named for the, you know, Pink Floyd thing, the Pink Floyd album, you could go up. I thought it was a reference to records on the wall. Maybe that's where they got the name originally. But anyway, you could take any CD up to them and they, and they would take off the shrink wrap, open the hinge of the CD from the bottom so as not to rip the sticker. They put it in their CD thing and then you could listen to it on the CD, on their little CD and wall. And then they'd just re-shrink it? And then they'd re-shrink it. Mm. And you'd be like, no, I don't want that. But I couldn't like over use that because i knew i wasn't gonna buy most of the cds there <laughs> plus if i found something at the wall that i want to buy i'm gonna go to tower records or newberry comics to buy it because <laughs> they had cheap or circuit city there were so many record stores in my small burlington in my small massachusetts town growing up that i knew where to like go for the cheaper deals circuit look at you not supporting a small business daniel <laughs> i don't know if they were a small business i don't think they were a local burlington store they were a national chain of some sort uh -oh. they also had this thing because i still have some cds over there in my cd collection where they had a lifetime cd scratch guarantee where if oh, your cd wow. got unplayable they'd put their own little guarantee sticker on your cd right and then 
you could bring in any CD like, oh, this CD is not playable anymore. And they'd swap it out for a new copy. I never did that. But at the same time, it's so easy to like take the CD case out and put it on a different CD that you didn't buy there. (laughs) I never did that. But it was a weird, it was a strange policy at a time when like buying physical music was a very competitive market. Anyway, DC Talk. So I get the the Jesus Freak CD and I didn't really listen to it that much. I did kind of like this song. And I kind of like those first couple of tracks, but it's not a CD that I spun a lot. And DC Talk was such a ubiquitous name in the Christian youth group culture in like those years where I was going to to youth group every week, but not kind of like living youth group culture. I went to youth group like an activity and then went home afterwards and didn't see those youth group kids outside of the youth group. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I find DC. Maybe this is what we're yeah, the next did podcast. Did you hang out with you? Did you hang out with your youth group outside of youth group no, time? Never, I didn't. Never. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I'm asking this as a general question. Like, who had their like friends from youth group that then they saw outside of youth group? I think a, that you didn't like already like go to school or like soccer or have some other function with. I think a lot of not a lot, but I do think a lot of the crowd that we've met online through this podcast who the youth group was the center of their world. Mm. The youth group was not the center of my world. It no. was an activity no different than soccer, exactly, baseball. Exactly, yeah. It was just a thing you did. Yeah. Um, it was like it was always like, you know, my school friends and then my uh Girl Scout friends which would be the two groups that I would see the most were like my friends that I would then see outside of those particular activities. But any of my sports friends, youth group, et cetera, were always kind of relegated to just that. Yeah. Like people say that they were, they grew up damaged by or grew up in or remember fondly youth group, their youth group. Right. But nobody talks that way about their Boy Scouts or their Girl Scouts. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I remember Girl Scouts. I remember Boy Scouts. And here's some fond memories. But no one says... I'm an ex Boy Scout kid. Well, <laughs> the I mean, people will say I'm an ex. Really unfortunate. Well, I'm not talking. Unfortunately, I'm not talking about those type of stories. I'm just talking about like a cult, a deep culture of an activity. Right, right. Where it was such an intrinsic. It was basically the center. Girl of Scout your world. was not. The Girl Scouts was not scarring for me or anything like that. I didn't eventually uh, leave Girl Scouts because I was like, you know, I don't really like your guys' policies or whatever. Mm-hmm. You guys said something I didn't All agree right. with about a movie. You guys said I shouldn't go see this R-rated movie. And I said, no, that R-rated movie was very artistic and good. And you don't know what you're talking about. That's Jessica's story. So uh, DC Talk formed at Liberty University where Toby McKeon met Michael Tate and the two began to perform together. Tate had previously been featured in Jerry Falwell's The Old Time Gospel Hour and with the Falwell Singers. He also performed solo, what Toby Mac later described as kind of a R&B church-oriented music. The two joined forces to record a song that Toby Mac had written called Heaven Bound. They performed the song before an audience of 8,000 Liberty University students uh, with Toby Mac rapping and Tate singing the chorus. The So DC Talk did start as basically the Christian Run DMC. They had three albums. Honestly, they had three albums. They were a hip-hop group. And then at some point, and maybe the Wikipedia... I'm reading the Wikipedia article. Does uh, somebody have now. that, like, uh, have a sh- have make shirts with that parody logo where it's, like, DC Talk, but it looks like the Run DMC logo i don't know maybe that exists um i i mean it seems pretty obvious like 
DC Talk, Run DMC. Like, there's similar syllabic connection there. Um, So, yeah. It was so interesting, though. Kevin Max must have joined later. Uh, So, because you have Tate, Toby Mac, and Kevin Max. Um, I, that much I know. <laughs> this much I know. The, uh, the, the Christian Beatles. There were only three of them. <laughs> uh, the two joint forces that have been on the tape included. Kevin Max Smith came from a campus rock band to join the group. Max was approached by Tate after perpor- performing the Imperial's Lord of the Harvest during a chapel session. The two became friends and Max was introduced to Toby Mac. The three moved off campus to live together. Interesting. So they were really about being this band. Wow, yeah. And that shows, like, you know, like, like that's what a lot of... That's the story of a lot of bands. Like, bands end up moving in together. Yeah, it's like, hand, we're taking this house, seriously. Yeah. yeah, We're taking this seriously. This is our thing. This is our dream. So we're moving in together. Uh, in 1988, the group Independent released their self-titled album on cassette only. This album would be re-released by Forefront the following year. And now I'm going to skip where they talk about their self-titled album getting re-released, their album New Thing, and their album Free at Last. Uh, Free at Last, the movie. And then to Jesus Freak. Jesus Freak was released in 1995, and it achieved the highest first week sales of any Christian release at the time, reaching number 16 on Billboard 200. The album was ultimately certified double platinum, was certified gold within 30 days of its release. Whoa! The album was a fusion of musical styles with a more pop rock oriented sound. People were all about this. They were ready for this. Yeah, combined with hip hop. You know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this. (laughs) Jesus Freak marked a milestone in the group's commercial career as they signed a deal with Virgin Records in 1996 to distribute their music to the mainstream market. It also earned DC Talk their second Grammy. The title track is also his historical importance. It is... Be- okay. All right. This next sentence is a oh, no. big bunch of bullshit. <laughs> is citation needed? Citation cannot will not be found. It is believed to be the first link between grunge and rapcore in the contemporary what? Christian music. Okay, well... In contemporary Christian music. I didn't... Yeah, okay. That's Not, the caveat. That's the caveat. But I misread this sentence as I was first reading it. Once I read the whole sentence, I'm like, okay, 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 I got it. I got the nuance of what you're... I got the new nuanced thing of what you're saying. Um, did and, you ever go get the laundry? No, I did. Oh. <laughs> I'll go get it in a second. Oh, you should probably do that. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. This is the first major Christian artist who write a sort of grunge style song but they were absolutely christian alternative rock bands who had already been around and obviously there were christian metal bands throughout the 80s but there were other like tooth and nail records and those bands for the most part those were like bands that existed like i don't know i can't name any right now michael not he's an early tooth and nail what did he play i don't know uh (laughs) i have no idea who you're talking about i'm sorry i can't help there were definitely like it's not like Christians were waiting for DC Talk to play Jesus Freak, and then all the Christians started forming grunge bands. Yes, that would kind of like show churches, hey, we can play a heavier style of music, and it's still faith based. That might help the moms understand that the sound itself is not scary, but there were underground. 
Christian bands to early tooth and nail that were playing heavy music. And I don't mean hair metal, like, you know, blood good and uh, striper. I mean like underground bands that are signing, that are ready to sign to tooth and nail. And, uh, also those Chris early Christian underground labels weren't like, I don't think they were concerned with is DC talk going to help open the doors for us. But at the same time, I did hear this song and think, well, that sounds cool. That sounds like the music I've been listening to through my adolescence. Bush, Silverchair, Nirvana, Foo Fighters. Uh, this whole album does not listen, listen sound like that. But anyway, uh, DC Talk, interesting band. I think that's what we should go on to talk about. For <laughs> Especially because you have the Toby Mac tie, right? We should talk about DC Talk. Now, I, I think in a previous episode... What, what would we call this episode? I, sorry, what this, would we call this podcast? This podcast? Well, talking about the talk? Talking, talking the talk, walking the walk? Decent, decent DC talk, talking. talk. We did say... DC talking. There was a thing when we had our magnified pod... Yeah, DC talking. That's what it was. When we had our magnified pod crossover like four or five years ago for the Five Hour Frenzy episode, we made a joke about that. I'm like, well, a, a DC talk podcast has to be, has to be called DC talking. But I feel like that name has been out there too long. So maybe DC Chat or Decent like Decent DC Talk. How about talk. Chat DC T? <laughs> chat DC. That's good. <laughs> Danny, go switch the laundry. I'll go switch the laundry. And then, you know what? We'll take our break. And when we come back, we'll get into talking about the song. All right. We'll do some Decent Between You and Me talk. It's fall, y'all, and you know what that means? Christmas is just around the corner, and what does that mean? A big, nice Christmas bonus, and we're better to spend that than with your pals over at Sadie Hawkins Pod at patreon.com slash Sadie Hawkins Pod. That's right. Over there, you get our entire backlog of Patreon bonus episodes, which include us reading through the entirety of the quote-unquote Reliant K book, the complex infrastructure known as the female mind. We talk about all the K's for karaoke songs that we haven't talked about on the main feed, and lots of other topics like songs that Matt Thiessen's been involved in, other compilations Reliant K has been featured on, and lots of other topics. Plus, you'll get two more bonus episodes every month. And if you sign up, you'll be thanked on every episode, just like these people who include Jonathan, Matthew, Bjorn, Isaac, Kendall, Joshua, Daniel, Jay, Michael, Samantha, Jimmy Pod, This Might Be a Podcast, Tucker, and Brady. So head on over to Patreon now. See you there. Oh, somebody woke up. So, let me get into the deep dive. Oh, wait. No, we have to talk about the actual song. Between You and Me. So, one other thing about my early relationship with DC Talk is that I randomly saw this song, the video for this song, like the last 20 seconds of the music video, on VH1 in the late 90s. It just happened to be playing. And I've never forgotten that. It was really strange just to change the channel... And not that strange because they clearly, you know, they signed to Virgin Records off of the success of this album. I don't know what the timing of Between You and Me being a single from this album was. But, you know, it's pro- I'm guessing now after they signed to Virgin, they probably got some push to get played on, you know, regular shows like music video shows on VH1. I changed the channel. I'm like, oh, 
that's the guy from uh, that's Tate, the the black guy from DC Talk, and like, oh, there's the other two guys from DC Talk, and there's some guy running around, and he's got some secret package, and some other guys are chasing him like it's a Radiohead video, and, and then he throws it in the trash, and the band goes up, and they look at what's this box the guy's been carrying around, and then cut, the video ends. I'm like, oh, it's like a real music video by a real band. Damn <laughs> it. <laughs> So having always thought of that, that like this video apparently played on VH1 or maybe it was MTV. I don't really remember what channel it was. But as I was listening to this song, I'm like this song out of a lot of, you know, what I think of DC Talk, like this song definitely has the most appeal for regular radio airplay. You know what I mean? Like the lyrics of this song, it's even though the title Between You and Me could mean many things if you tell us if you say a band a christian band wrote a song called between you and me you'd think it's about testifying Mm -hmm. it's really about someone trying to make up with a friend which is why it's going to be so fitting that reliant k covered this right yeah (laughs) there you go so how did you feel about the dc talk song between you and me Oh, I was grooving. Like, I, I actually really enjoyed it. And spoiler warning, I enjoyed the original more than the Reliant K cover. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting because this, you know, to me as a kid, I get this thing that I think is a Christian Nirvana. And it turns out, no, just one song's really the Christian Nirvana. This song is basically like a soul song. This song's like a radio soul song like a like this could be like soul artists i can't name them all but like i don't know prince (laughs) like as i was listening to this this couldn't be a prince song but this could be like a living color song like the, the this it's a great okay let me try to get back on track i really like this song i think it's a banger i love the melody i love the hook I love the chord progression. I love the lift and I love I don't love every change up like I'm not crazy about the the uh the slow the 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 uh bridge the section that Toby Mac is like I, da, 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 I search for holiness like the kind of like slow rappy talk thing that he does in there. I don't think that's necessary. I think in a radio single you maybe cut that out, right? Even though it is the most overtly Christian lyric in the song. It's the most overtly Christian lyric in the song. So cutting that out might send a bad signal. But I think musically it's the least needed part of the song in the DC Talk version. I'll come back to that when we talk about Reliant K. But this is like there's elements of funk. There's a, there's elements of soul music. There's elements of R&B. And like a lot of different... When I listen to this song... I kept thinking about 80s soul music, which I don't know enough artist names, but I do listen to that occasionally. And how you could, like, 80s and 90s soul artists could definitely do versions of this song. Also, this song, not the song itself, but the production, I'm so nostalgic for. You know what I mean? Like, this yeah, song. I could, get it. Because yeah. you and me listen to uh, The Wave. Yes. Here in Los Angeles, <laughs> which Jessica calls the Atlanta 90s wedding radio station. <laughs> yes, because I'm always like, well, they play a lot of R&B, which reminds me of growing up in Atlanta, as well as the fact that it's like every song also that they play on there sounds like something you would hear at a wedding in the 90s. At, a, at an Atlanta wedding in the 90s. <laughs> Do I not need to add the You don't need Atlanta? to add the Atlanta. Those are two separate thoughts. Gotcha. Sorry. So 
my my uh, relationship with 90s nostalgia is so different than I think a lot of other people's, right? Or like the, at least the common conception of how you react with nostalgia. When you think of nostalgia, it's usually the things you grew up with or the things you used to love when you were young. And those take you back to when you were a kid. Well, to be honest, for me, when I think of my favorite bands from the 90s and my favorite bands from the early 2000s, I never stopped listening to those bands. <laughs> so I don't have a feeling of nostalgia when I listen to a Green Day, when I listen to an MXPX, when I listen to Reliant K, when I listen to any of the ska bands I listen to. I get nostalgic for like two weeks ago. I don't connect. <laughs> I have memories from the 90s and the 2000s of those things, yeah. but I don't, I don't immediately feel a deep emotional connection. I the see. way a smell can connect you directly right. to the feeling of being there. I can't listen to a Less Than Jake song and connect directly to a memory of seeing them live for the first time. Instead, my connection to nostalgia is all the periphery music that I didn't claim to like at the time, but that was ubiquitous and constantly playing. So the sound of the production on this sounds so 90s mm -hmm. like aside from being dc talk and a major christian artist that was looking for crossover appeal like this song has the sound of the 90s deeply i'm not even like when i think of artists like uh, uh joan osborne right who else uh M melissa etheridge um i'm trying to think of like <laughs> 90s soft rock Sure. 90s soft rock played everywhere. Yeah. But when you talk about being like an emo, t when you're like the emo, when you're coming from the emo scene, the punk scene, like your nostalgia tends to lean, the discussion of nostalgia tends to lean towards that music. But I think like whatever was the pop pop music of the time, if you didn't like that, I have more of a nostalgic feeling for that sound now because that was the soundtrack to my everyday life. That was the right. soundtrack mm -hmm. of going to the mall with my mom. That wasn't the soundtrack of me being alone in my bedroom, you know, being emotional. But that was the soundtrack of going out and about. So that's what really connects me to the feeling of the 90s. And this song has so much production sound of the late 90s. Like, this song sounds like... Uh, I don't know, like the friends, like Phoebe from Friends would go to a party and a song that sounds exactly like this would be playing. Like this song sounds so 90s to me. Do you not agree? Like yeah. that this would be basically something that could play on the wave today? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about this song and why I really... I like the original better than the Reliant K version because I just don't care for the production of the Reliant K version. The like straight rock cover doesn't do the song any favors and lacks the groove of the original DC talk version. Right. It's interesting though that, so I guess now we'll talk about the Reliant K version. It's interesting that Reliant K did take this and make it something completely their own. Like Scott Pilgrim, the movie I was thinking about this, like, like, um, it's just a coincidence we talked about Scott Pilgrim because earlier this week I was thinking about like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Mm -hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy as an adaptation is not what a typical comic book fan would say they're expecting from a comic book movie. 
But it was so successful artistically that it rewrote what comic book fans expect from the Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians of the Galaxy were nothing like what you see in the movie. It's a very mm-hmm. basic idea of those characters that was completely kind of rewritten yeah. with the sensibility. <laughs> kind of rewritten with the sensibility Cooper of James agrees. Gunn. Um, so I think covers are sometimes like that. Because when people talk about covers, like, oh, I really only like covers that are exactly like the original. Do ya? Do ya? Are you going to get behind that? If I play you 200 covers, you're going to 100% agree on every cover. That's only what you were looking for. Or other people who say, I only like covers that transform and recreate the sound. Like, do ya? Do ya? <laughs> Are you completely consistent with that point of view? I don't think because so. Because people aren't. It's, yeah. The answer is people aren't. I think Nobody, it really just depends on what you're getting out of it. It is a completely case-by-case basis. And anyone who says, I only like covers that are one, two, three. Like, here's my list of what makes a good cover. You're fooling yourself. Like, you have not... No one... It's No one who says, here's what I think makes a good cover, has ever been consistent in how they feel about that. Which makes me think that covers are... A, they're not a science. They're a form of magic. They really are. <laughs> like, covers are a form of magic. They're an adaptation. And it's no different than taking a comic book and being like, well, what do what does this comic book need right now to be put into a movie? Do we need to be completely faithful shot by shot like the Watchmen or 300? Or do we take a core idea of the characters like a Guardian of the Galaxies and sort of recreate it in a new cinematic form? That's exactly what covers are like. Every band kind of sits down and it's like, well, we just love this song. Let's make this song sound exactly like the original artist because that's what we love. And we just are doing this for ourselves as a band. And we'll just make the song sound exactly the same. Or do they look at the song and say, well, we love and I, we love a part of this song, or we kind of like this song, or we love this song inside and out, but we want to make it our own. It's a magic. It's not a science. So Reliant K takes this funk soul song. Brother, check it out. <laughs> and they transform it into kind of a straight ahead rock song. In sort of in this is a post. Uh, this is the this is between between you and me is between five score and forget not slow down. Oh, but okay. I don't know that this is recorded and released in two thousand six. Hmm. But I don't know if this cover has the feeling of either of those albums. I don't know that this cover has a feeling of the era of any particular Reliant K album. It's sandwiched between. It's interesting. They do a lot of interesting stuff and they transform the song. They totally transform the song, right? They're not going to do all this like soul funk stuff that's kind of in the background of this original song. But they still take a lot of production left turns like the original song did. Like the build up, the, like when it's rocking and rocking and rocking and then cuts down and slows and then goes into the hand-picked guitar and Tyson sings softly and then the record 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 like that rocking thing <laughs> comes back up there are these production left turns which we have praised other relying K songs for uh manic monday and 12 days of christmas those are relying K covers that thrive in the fact that they have these sharp production left turns this has some sharp production left turns. 
I think it works. Jessica doesn't necessarily think it works. I think it's just that the lyrics aren't my favorite. So without that polished 90s soft rock meets boy band kind of production, (laughs) uh, the focus falls a little too heavily on the lyrics for me. That's true. And it's funny because of all of, I don't know this, I don't know the Jesus Freak album Inside and Out. This comes from a song called, this comes from an album, which we haven't even talked about, but the album's called Freaked. And it's a tribute to the entire Jesus Freak album. And the only two bands I know of... Well, no, I know John Rubin, Family Force 5, and Relying K. And I don't really know... Is this what we're doing for Patreon this week? (laughs) I guess we should. (laughs) Well, I mean, you mentioned it the last time we did a Patreon. And I was like, oh, right now we gotta listen. Maybe I should make like a parfait version of the playlist where we go back and forth in the DC Talk version to the cover... DC Talk version cover. And you're not going to make us do both, though, right? Yeah, because then we'd have to listen to both albums one after the next. But if we kind of like shuffle them together in order, right? Then we listen to the original DC Talk song and we listen to the cover. We listen to the second DC Talk song. We listen to the cover. I think that might be the way we'll do the Patreon this Wait, week. I'm sorry. We still have to listen to both the DC Talk we, song and the cover? We can skip some of the tracks if we want to, if that's if that's giving you anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> so this song is about... This song is not... A, I kind of... If you asked me what is the song between you and me about uh, a week ago, I would have thought it was about testifying. Because I did not pay attention to the lyrics. Yeah, there's that whole confession thing where I'm yeah. like, wait, is this a Catholic song? What do we have going on Yeah, where like I, can, I look for holiness. I search for holiness and all that stuff. I thought this was just a song about seeking holiness and maybe uh, testifying to someone else about Christ. That's not what the song's about. I don't exactly... We could deep dive in the lyrics, but the song is about having a friend and realizing that there's a rift between you and needing to confess something to them and having a talk heart to heart and not letting the sun go down on your anger. That's, that's, and then like there feel there being this feeling of being trapped because you know that this important relationship you have with a friend or someone has been damaged and you need to talk to them between you and me. I've got something to say I don't want to have the sun go down on this rift between us. That's what the song is actually about. The song is about two friends talking it out, which is what most Relying K songs are about. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the most fitting thing that on this tribute album, Relying K ended up doing this song because this is a theme that they visit consistently in the Relying K discography. Bad friend DC talks on. Bad friend Tate. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a Bad Friend Tate song becomes a Bad Friend Teeson song. What is interesting, though, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying. The When you change the sort of, you know, when you have this sort of funky 90s boy band, like you said, style, this like very 90s soft rock adult contemporary production style, it's easy not to like immediately be accosted by the lyrics because that production style is very much about the lyrics and the music kind of being harmonious so that you can take what you want out of it. But yeah, I get it. You turn this into a slightly more stark, although the production is just as complex in the Reliant K version when I had big headphones on. There's a lot going on. But it is. it does feel more stripped down than the, than the DC Talk version, even though I don't think it's actually literally stripped down, just comparing the two versions. You do hear the lyrics more. Thiessen does more enunciating of the lyrics. And even though this is a theme that Thiessen consistently writes, and therefore you think it would be natural, the lyrics themselves are way too flower, flowery 
in a way that Thiessen is not really accustomed to writing. Thiessen is very poetic. He's very, uh, you know, creative and, and there is, but I wouldn't describe the sort of uh, roller coaster of, of language that Thiessen can do once in a while. I wouldn't describe that often as flower, flowery. Right. But there's a floweriness. There's an aridness. There's this sort of 90 sense of kind of like spiritualness. And I don't even mean in Christ. I just mean like a lot of adult contemporary soft rock that this song is like had this like spiritual feeling and therefore the lyrics had to be kind of a little flowery and that's not what a Reliant K song is like. So I'm going to read through some of these lyrics pretty... (laughs) I'll read through these lyrics pretty quickly. Sorrow is a lonely feeling. Unsettled is a painful place. I've lived... For both, I've lived with both for too long now since we've parted ways. I've been wrestling with my conscience and I found myself to blame. If there's to be any resolution, I've got to peel my pride away. I love the way Tyson belts out that I've got to peel my pride away. And I also love the way Tate does it. But most of this stanza, most of this verse is not the way that Matt Thiessen would write these lyrics. I don't know. These don't feel like Reliant K lyrics to me. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, Ammunition kind of feel like they make sense out of Reliant K's mouth. But some of the way that these are saying, Sorrow is a lonely feeling. Unsettled is a painful place. I've been living... I've been living... It's weird. It's like, it sounds like Reliant K lyrics, but it's just too... It's just too literary i don't know i wouldn't describe matt as as intelligent and as mature as reliant k's lyrics can be at times i wouldn't describe them as literary and i wouldn't describe them as flowery yeah but that's what i would describe the lyrics of between you and me as just between you and me i've got something to say want to get it straight before the sun goes down just between you and me confession needs to be made recompense is my way to freedom now just between you and me i've got something to say then kevin max and tate together saying if confession is the road to healing forgiveness is the promised land i'm reaching out in my conviction i'm longing to make amends so i'm sorry for the words i've spoken for i betrayed a friend just putting it on our portrait i betrayed a friend that's what the song's about Mm -hmm. we've got a love that's worth preserving and a bond i will defend so, again, even though these are th- this second verse is a lot simpler than the first verse, I still feel like it's a little too flowery and arid for Reliant K. Even though it is literally the, I've betrayed a friend. Reliant K would write that lyric. Yep. They've written that lyric. <laughs> but some of these things, maybe in the five score era, like things got a little bit more of this kind of poetic. But I just don't think of Reliant K's overall lyrical sense as a hundred percent matching you, you've this got, idea you've got one or two songs on like bird and the b-sides but yeah and there's no creative like i feel like if 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 uh you if you need like you need like science fiction elements to do this but if somehow you like deleted this song from existence and you put the song in uh, like Inception style into the back of Matt Thiessen's consciousness. And then you were like, hey, Matt Thiessen, write a song called Between You and Me. I think his brain would 
you like eject the song <laughs> slightly differently and some of these lyrics would be a little bit more peppy yeah a little bit more a little bit more creative in sort of a, that quirky style and sort of that playful style i don't like quirky playful mm-hmm. they would be a little bit more playful that's a good way to put it yeah so the sun going down, I don't want the sun to go down on this like fight they're having. That's a biblical reference. The promised land, obviously that's a biblical reference. But these are also ubiquitous biblical refer- biblical references that like, it's not like they're quoting a really like esoteric or less known or, you know, it's not like they're quoting major Bible verses even. They're just taking sort of the motifs of what we know from Christian and Jewish and Islamic mythology <laughs> they're taking mostly Old Testament references and putting it in this song. So I think that also attributes to why this song had a pretty good chance of playing alongside those adult contemporary stations on VH1 and stuff, along with like Blessed Union of Souls. Like actually, I, there's, there's another one, right? There you go. Like uh, these bands, these soft rock bands with a slight alternative edge. Like, that's kind of the sound that I think you get with this. And the lyrics, while being spiritually based, and obviously, if you know DC Talk, going through a Christian lens, they still aren't, like, as in-your-face about, this is about Jesus. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even later, the most abrupt, as I mentioned already, the, uh, the bridge, the bridge by Toby Mac, In my pursuit of God, I thirst for holiness. As I approach the sun, I must consider this. Offenses unresolved will keep me from the throne. Before I go to him, my wrong must be atoned. Yes, that sounds very Christian, but every world religion can 100% understand that lyric. Now, here in Genius, it says, As I approach the sun, but it's spelled S-U-N, capital S, as I approach Christ. So they're saying specifically Wait, S-U-N or S-O-N. S-O-N, I'm sorry. I, I did say. say I did spell it wrong. It says here, as I approach the sun, S-O-N, the son of God. But the motif of the rest of the song is don't want the sun to go down on don't want the was it that, that Oasis mm-hmm. song. <laughs> don't want you know I was gonna do what is it, Elton John? Yeah. The sun going down on me. Who is that? I don't know. Maybe it's Elton John. Maybe it's not. Whatever. I thought that's Oasis. Don't let the sun go down on me. I'm toned down. That is not Oasis. That's not Oasis? Hold on. Well, there's Here Comes the Sun. Yeah, that's the Beatles. Uh, the Slackers, Don't Let the Sunlight Fool Ya. Oh, it's Elton John. Yeah. That's what he said. I thought it was a... <laughs> Those are two very different acts. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just rewrote it as Oasis in my head. Maybe Oasis did a cover of it one time that I'm thinking of. Anyway, so the motif of the, so- the, song, the song is saying, Before the sun goes down, just between you and me, confessions need to be made. And then in the, in the chorus... And it absolutely can be a double meaning, and it probably is a double meaning. As I approach the sun... Well, I feel like based off most of the rest of the song, he's saying, as I approach the sun, it's nighttime, as the sun is coming up, as I approach the sun, as I approach a new day, I must consider that my offenses are unresolved and they will keep me from the throne. Well, obviously he's talking about Christ here because he's talking about the throne. He's talking about his sins before him need to be atoned. Well, he so it's a double meaning. Like dying. 
I guess so. Is like he a, a deathbed pro- confession? Oh. Like, you know. Suddenly made the sun a little darker. the sun <laughs> and the throne, then I need to... Uh, yeah, it could be as simple as, yes. like, it's Sunday, and I'm going... And I'm going to yeah, church, and I, I mean, still have this sin on my on my heart, and I need to atone for it. But and his song is a song a lot about confession. So I don't think, but like I was saying earlier, good art asks questions and does not give you the answers. And I really feel like even here, in this bridge, he's clearly referring to Christ, but he's still asking more questions than supplying answers because he's saying the sun. Is the sun Christ? Is the sun the sun in the sky? Yes, it's both. But at the same time, now you can read this as, is his life ending? And he has this confession that he still needs to make. But then uh, Kevin Max and Tate doesn't sound like they're singing about a deathbed confession. So maybe you're switching between multiple feelings and this you're kind of going back and forth on this motif of confession and atoning. And making things right between you and others so that you don't feel caught or you don't feel lost in your relationships with others. Well, we'll ask Toby when we get him on the pod. We'll ask Toby when we get to heaven. (laughs) We talked about, like, what do you ask God when you get to heaven when you're a kid? Every time I ask my parents something they couldn't answer, it's like, that's a good question to ask God when you get to heaven. (laughs) Did they, your parents never did that to you? No. I feel like my, that must, I don't think my parents made that up. No. I think that that must be something that gets taught. That's a, that's a thing that gets thrown around and thrown at kids. Well, anyway, another big, so I do like the Reliant K version. It is interesting in their history. It's a little bit under the radar. It's, it's a bit of a deep cut. Um, Yeah, for sure. I didn't know that this existed. Yeah. And I think... It doesn't have the feeling of five score or forget not slow down or burn the B sides. Yeah, no. So it's an interesting piece to see right there in the middle. Two thousand six. It's a lot more of like. Oh no! It's before. I'm sorry. It's before five score. I get these years mixed up. I was just gonna say that it's more of a. <laughs> it's between K is for karaoke kind of a feel it in does, that it's just yeah. like a rock sort of a cover, you know. Well, I redact everything I said about years and albums and eras for Relying K in this song. This is from 2006. Everyone's shouting. So everyone's at already the shouted. Radios. Already left voicemails. Yeah. Yep, already left. 2006 voicemails. is between five score and mm-hmm, but it doesn't feel like either to me. But you're right. It does have honestly. This has a strangely a collapsible lung case for karaoke feel, mm-hmm. and it almost has that feeling of where Tyson's vocals kind of shifted at case for karaoke. And then his his lyrics, his vocal stylings to this day have developed out of the change in K's for karaoke, up through Air for Free, up through how he performs now. Right. But yet you still have Forget Not Slow Down and Five Score after this cover. And yet somehow it feels more akin to his current vocal stylings. So it's a really interesting piece of Relying K history. Um, yeah, I don't know. I definitely think that the ammunition cover is a lot more successful and a lot more enjoyable than this one. Yeah. I couldn't stop playing ammunition, both the Switchfoot and Reliant K versions for the weeks after we did that song. But I don't think I'll be going back to the Reliant (laughs) K cover except for Patreon. But I will be listening to a little bit more DC talk. Most of the melody, most of the choruses on the Jesus Freak album, as much as I didn't listen to it that much... The choruses 
are fantastic. Like they had some way of writing pop choruses that were like super catchy and unforgettable because I didn't listen to the Jesus Freak album from beginning to end all the time. And yet when I listen to it, I'm like, oh yeah, I know this. Sometimes this song randomly gets caught in my head and I probably forget that it's DC Talk, just like how I think an uh, an Elton John song is Oasis. Exactly. I swear Oasis has a song about the sun going down. Oasis, sun. Sunday morning call, turn up the sun. That's not it. Oh, we're going to get flagged by Oasis I was going to say, we have sure. already gotten flagged, Danny. Well, I don't really have a deep dive, and I really don't have any uh, covers. There were some, like, guitar covers, some bass covers. Um, interesting song, because, you know, Tyson also changes the key. I think he does, right? Like, he's singing in a slightly different key. He's not quite hitting the same notes that Tate hits. But the covers on YouTube are very similar to that, where everyone's kind of singing it. They're singing the melody the same, but they're hitting different notes, mm. different tones with that. So, And it's, it seems like a very simple chord progression to play. It seems like a lot of simple chords and like a lot of church-based music, like a lot of music that's in, meant to inspire Christians. It's always supposed to be very easy, very simple chords, so almost any level of mm. worship leader can pick it up. Um, but... Yeah, I didn't do a deep dive. I didn't feel like it was necessary for DC Talk. I thought it was just, we'd just kind of talk about our history of DC. We'd be DC talking. Exactly. Like decent Christians. You got it. And I just didn't find anything really interesting. There's some live videos of DC Talk performing this song. Great. They're fantastic. They're very good. They are consummate professionals, very good musicians, like nice stage presence. They nice. really do stand there like boy, like a boy band, though. It's hilarious. <laughs> they kind of each have their little position, and they're just kind of belting it out. They do little dance? They don't do little dances. Oh. I mean more like the One Direction type, like the non-dancing, like the boys to men. Gotcha. I think boys to men might do a little dancing, but I mean more like the Motown sort of like sure, boy band sure. style gotcha. of like you kind of stake your section of the stage, and maybe you walk over a thing. Maybe you have some choreography of when you walk to other sides of the stage. But this version of DC Talk definitely feels more akin to adult contemporary. Your uh, like their stage presence in the live videos I saw with uh, you know your stage presence, '90s style boys to men. Uh... D adult C. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm losing steam. Anyway, between you and me. I guess we're done. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? Sure. Dan, do you like this song more or less or the same? <laughs> oh, wait. There is oh. one other thing. Sorry. Uh, there's this thing called... Now, before... We got to discuss this before we talk about what's better. Oh, boy. What do you like more or less the same? Oh, what's happening? On the 10th anniversary version of Jesus Freak, the album, they released a special edition with some remixes on the back half of the album. And so here's the fab remix of Between You and Me. I'll just play it in the room. Is this the same song? Yeah. Really? It's a remix. This is a literal remix, an actual remix. I just didn't remember these opening lyrics. <laughs> These aren't the opening lyrics. They it's aren't. a remix, no. Oh, okay. This is the opening lyrics. What do you think of this? 
just like some U2 era club yeah, music. Yes. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a succinct way to put that. Yeah. DC Talk definitely feels like they have a lot of different influences that come together oh, into this sure. very specific kind of 90s adult music. Yeah. You take your little bit of your grunge, but you take a lot of like your big arena rock you too okay oh wow that's okay, t- backstreet boys talk, of, talk about <laughs> sharp left turns in the production let's listen to that one more time wow why does it sound like the goosebumps theme song <laughs> And now it sounds like a shitty rave DJ. Yeah. This is not a good remix. Yeah. Oh, what is happening? Are you playing two songs on top no, of No, it sounds like a bad rave DJ. Stop. This oh, was released no. on their 10th anniversary special. I don't know Yikes. who Fab is, but that is not a good remix. Oh, I... it's like how the Sadie Hawkins dance 10th <laughs> anniversary was awful as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, no offense, really. Yeah, okay. We didn't care for it. Some people care for it. Not our thing. Um, one other thing I forgot, though, in the Reliant K version, in the transformation of it, aside from just like production changes, they also cut 90 seconds out of the DC Talk song, which is funny that you have a longer DC Talk song that Jessica enjoys. You cut a <laughs> minute and a half out of it, and Jessica doesn't like it as much. But what, do you, what uh, Reliant K well, did... Well, it's not the time that I, you know, that I had an issue with. Right. What Reliant K did with this cover is they took... I think I mentioned this a little earlier, but they took that bridge that Toby Mac sings about when I search for holiness and the sun and all that. They make that like a coda. They basically... this The original DC Talk version ends with this kind of like groove. And that's where Tate is singing the whole thing at the end. With that lyric that was confusing you opening up the remix, it's mm-hmm. basically this, this like groove and outro to the original song. It's my way to freedom. It's my way to freedom. Confession is my way to freedom. None of this happens in the Reliant K version. Instead, you get the bridge and then the song's over. So they take the bridge and they convert. <laughs> Jessica's just playing with Cooper. Sorry. Isn't that interesting, Jessica? It's so interesting. That they Dad. really transformed the form of the song. They turned the bridge into the outro. And then they said, we're not just going to lay here in the pocket on a cool little groove with a lot of uh, wall of sound production of with Tate going, it's my way to Tate and Toby going, it's my way to freedom. Instead, we're just going to cut. We're just done. When Reliant K is done, they're done. Cold groove, man. (laughs) So now, Jessica. Yes. How do you feel? about the dc talk version first uh, i quite like the dc talk version actually. you like it better than ever yes you like it more than ever i, I th- mean i paid attention to it so <laughs> you know there's that and then how do you feel about the reliant k version not a fan you say you like it less i like it less i probably won't listen to the reliant k version again <laughs> if i'm being perfectly honest and then how did you feel about the fab remix um <laughs> Well, that was incredible. No, uh, you know, same same along the Reliant K lines. So you like it the same as before? We did. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm. I differ from you a little bit. I agree. I like the DC Talk version more than ever. I like now. I'd heard the Reliant K version here and there over the last couple of years of working on this podcast. So I can say I have heard it. 
I like it about the same as the first time I heard it, maybe two, three, four years ago. Uh, and then the Fab remix, that's just awful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to whoever Fab is, but it's not a good remix. Anyway. Our apologies to Fab. To, well, but, and also our apologies to the Fab 3, DC Talk themselves. Yeah. Yep. And we will catch you later. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and healthy out there. Stay safe and healthy. Stay Happy decent. Happy Halloween. Stay, yes, yes. Stay, <laughs> be careful out there of all of the Jesus freaks. <laughs> the, mon- the truest monsters. Oh, no.